0: Mm-mm. <clears throat> namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato Therefore, you should train yourselves thus. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by limitless goodwill. Make it our vehicle. Make it our basis. Stabilize it. Exercise ourselves in it. And fully perfect it. Thus is how you should train yourself. So, the topic of my talk today is at least my take on how you can actually follow those instructions i call it making it your livelihood right when we think of livelihood we think of what we do to to make a living um and we think of livelihood in terms of the noble Eightfold path we think of you know jobs and things that we shouldn't do because they might cause harm but if you look up livelihood or if you um look up the word, the Pali word, that uh, that they use livelihood for, you'll find that it simply can also mean a way of life, how you live. So when you make this practice your livelihood, it becomes not something that you do from four to five when you're sitting on a cushion, but it becomes something, it becomes part of you. It becomes ingrained in you. It becomes part of who you are. And <clears throat> it naturally flows from you throughout the day. You don't even have to think about it. Because you've trained yourself in such a way that it is just an automatic part of <clears throat> how you live your life. This is, you can also call that becoming an avatar of it. So you're Becoming an avatar of metta so that it becomes our vehicle, it becomes every interaction that we have in life has a basis of metta as part of it. So where we're going to start on this uh, journey during this talk today is where we start when I do my guided metta meditations. We're going to start with ourselves. Bhanteji is actually technically correct. Nowhere in the suttas does the Buddha say, start with yourself, per se. Although I am working on a little bit of an essay, kind of making a case from the suttas as to why you should start from yourself. There's a couple different suttas that kind of point to this. There's a a wonderful sutta with a king, I don't remember which king, and he's talking to one of his wives and he says you know his his you know if he's in very much in love with this you know this woman you know he talks to her and, he, and she sa- he says who is the, who is the most dear to you in all the world of course you know if you think it's a romance movie you you would expect to you know what the answer is but his wife was a practitioner of the buddha his wife was a practitioner of dhamma she said well I am the most dear person to me in all the world. And the king is like, oh, I guess I am the most dear person to me. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so, and even the Buddha says that no being, search high and low, there is no being that, uh, that does not take themselves as the most dear person to them. Knowing this, knowing that you take yourself the most dear, how can you harm other beings right there's another sutta that I um, use quite often when I'm talking about these kind of things and it's called the simile of the acrobat <clears throat> simile of the acrobat is when the there's two acrobats and so what they do is they get up on these like 12 foot long poles and they do all kinds of acrobatics on top of these poles and so there's the, the master and then there's the apprentice and so the master says to his apprentice he says um, you know we will get up on the stilts and you watch my back and I'll watch your back <clears throat> and then we'll be safe and we'll come down and we'll enjoy our earnings. And the apprentice, she was much smarter. She said, no master, I'll watch myself, you watch yourself, then we'll go up on the stilts, we'll come down, and then we will enjoy our earnings. And the Buddha says, just like that, what that apprentice says, that is how you practice. The Buddha says that when watching over oneself, we watch over other. When watching over others, we watch over oneself. And actually, the Buddha's <coughs> the Buddha's answer to how you watch over yourself and how you watch over others is mindfulness, the four establishments of mindfulness, to be exact. Right. So there's lots of little suttas like that in the uh, in the Nikayas that point to the importance of <coughs> taking care of yourself. Even in the kakachupa um, the Musuta, right? There's a, it starts out, you should train thus, <clears throat> I, I shall abide, starting with them, so you start with that person first, that person who whatever is causing you annoyance or whatever, and then you abide to the rest of the world, so sometimes you're the person causing yourself annoyance. Sometimes, yeah, you know, <clears throat> so you can put yourself in there. And one thing I, I do have to say is that I, um, I push you know, metta to yourself first because I know that it, it has worked immensely for me. <clears throat> it might not work for you. If you, you know, sometimes some people have issues having metta for themselves, and sometimes it's easier to have you know practice metta for other beings but and I say okay but the one thing I will say though is to just be wary to watch why you'd want to do that because what I have found in life is that it's much easier for us to get wrapped up in other people's problems and have compassion for other people and and go I'm gonna go save all of these people and do all this for all of these people then looking at ourselves and trying to help ourselves right so keep that in mind if you decide not to try to have metta for yourself or at least not to practice that way you know sometimes the hardest person that we can accept as ourselves sometimes and again from personal you know i was a very self-judgmental person self-critical person more so of myself than others but i was still self-judgmental and self-critical of others too and i had and i held people up to probably too high a standard because i kind of had that standard for myself right and when I didn't reach that standard, or when other people didn't reach that standard, well then you know that's when the criticism came in. <clears throat> right, so I was very good at just destroying myself internally. And so for me, this was very helpful <clears throat> to practice this, giving this friendship to myself. you know I mean some of you guys uh, probably you know maybe in like uh, TV shows and jokes and stuff like they kind of like make fun of these kind of things like I love myself and all these and it seem, seems like really corny and stupid and things like that I, I know that because uh, I felt the same way right there used to be on Saturday Night Live long time ago there used to be a guy who would sit in the mirror and he'd say I'm good enough I'm smart enough and doggone it people like me Right? So I would look at that and I would laugh. Oh no, that guy's such an idiot and all this stuff. <laughs> and then five years later I'm doing the same thing to myself in the mirror. <laughs> because I decided that I wasn't, this is even way before I was a Buddhist, I decided I didn't want to be this person who was so self-judgmental and critical and depressed and you know, kind of averse to life. So <clears throat> with that being said, this is why... I find that when you practice this metta, when you let, start to let go of that self-judgment and that self-criticism, it's just natural that you'd let go of that for others too. And you realize, you know, you look at yourself like, man, I'm like a faulty human being, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I, even because I would put myself to these ideals, right? <clears throat> and I realize I'm just human. And that's, sometimes that's what I have to remind myself constantly before, you know, this past week before this retreat started you guys already, you can see it glaringly obvious how we're kind of short staffed and we're running around and we're all crazy and so last week I'm really busy I'm preparing for this I get hit with like, you know allergy symptoms that are like flu like symptoms and some of the people who came early they probably, you know, like they're walking up and I'm like walking around like like this and and like I was just so wrapped up in my own stuff right <clears throat> because there was just so much stuff that was coming together at once that it was hard for me to kind of keep that like like how I am now right just like ah you know <clears throat> and so I, I just you know, some people like who came early they're probably looking at like oh what's going on with him yeah <clears throat> and so the, the day the retreat started in the morning <clears throat> at breakfast I was noticing that I had this like this strong anxiety And and I was realizing, oh, okay, something, this is different than normal. And so I had to really (coughs) practice giving myself metta. So, you know, some. (coughs) It sounds funny, but I think that talking to yourself is extremely important. I do it all the time. (coughs) And sometimes you have to have like a negotiation with yourself, right? (coughs) If you don't believe that, Try look at uh, new year's Eve resolutions right you're going to say all right, self let's go we're going to do this, and then three weeks later, we quit right sometimes you have to like negotiate so so you know that morning I was like, you know you know you're doing the best that you can, you know um you know try to you know, remember your metta, remember your techniques and all that stuff. And and so I had that, like, I watched as my mindset, like, gradually, slowly, slowly begin to let go of all that stress and that, you know, weight. And then by the end of the the meal, I was feeling better. I was feeling more lighthearted. And I was like, oh, good, you know, like, you know, and of course, for me also, it's like, you guys coming here, that is part of my metta. Like, you know, I have... Sometimes maybe I, I uh, attach too much to doing the best that we can for you guys. Sometimes I have to let go uh, of that as well. But so I love it when people come here and we practice together and things like that. So <clears throat> this is why it's important. You know, you use these techniques. It's positive self-talk. Even the Buddha talked about it. It's called silanusati. It means like in, in times of doubt, in times of, um, you know, when you're having hard times. Silinusitim is recollection of your good deeds. So he's saying, recall the good deeds that you've done. And when you do that, your mind will be light and joyful and, and calm, right? So even the Buddha's telling you, this is, you know, recall these things. Why, you know, observe these things. And so, uh, finally for this section, I wanna use a, a simile that uh, <clears throat> uh when i was young my uh, my father's side of the family moved to arizona so i did a fair bit of flying when i was young and you know flying was great i loved flying but so i would always look at the airline safety speech right like you, do you guys ever pay attention to that when you're on the plane right the the stewardess is like you know like that and like nobody's paying attention i was just I was invited to Florida in in March, so I, that was the first time I've flown since I've become a monk and i'm watching I'm sitting there watching the speech, and everybody's like on their phones like this. Nobody's paying attention at all to what's going on <clears throat> and so there was one part that when I was growing up, always kind of made me think I never quite got it, and that part was when they get to the point where in the event of the air of, of oxygen mass deploying, what do you do? they say to put your own mask on first before helping a, the child or somebody next to you. And I think it was in, I was in meditation probably about four or five years ago when there was like a eureka moment. I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> now I get it. You're useless to other people if you're passed out. <laughs> right? So you're totally useless. You can't help others if if you don't have that, if you don't take the time to, have metta for yourself you know to to even if you you know like <clears throat> even if you have trouble thinking of like the the um, positive thoughts coming into your mind you know your body and going out think of being, think of being, thinking of it in a practical way you can't help others if you don 't take care of yourself if you can't you know have that energy and that positivity within you you can't help others just like you try to put on somebody else's mask and pass out in the middle of it you're not going to be helping them so <clears throat> you put on your own mask first before you help others and that's in this society it's kind of counterintuitive because it, it's seen very in this society there's a lot of like if you think about yourself that's considered selfish right? if you if you spend too much time on yourself that's being selfish or that's being narcissistic and all these kind of things. But as you can see with the practice, <clears throat> spending time with yourself is extremely important. <clears throat> spending time with yourself allows you to help others because you're helping yourself as well. So don't forget yourself when it comes to metta. And so. Now, going moving forward towards how we become, how we make this our livelihood, how we become an avatar of metta. <clears throat> I'm going to delve a, a little bit into Vante Sila's talk yesterday, mindfulness and metta. So, how do we, how do we make it so that we have this <coughs> consistent, constant? <coughs> um, we make metta our habit, right? You start out with having persistent vigilance against aversive mind states in every aspect of your life. So when you practice mindfulness, when you're going through your, your day and you're mindful and you're watching as your thoughts arise and your thoughts pass, you're watching as aversive, aversive mind states come, you're watching as <coughs> greedy mind states come, right? That's the first step. You have to see something first before you can Apply the cooling bomb, or bomb. <laughs> I, I love when he says that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have to see, you have to see that arise. You have to, you have to not be wrapped up in it first. Before, so that once you have that awareness, once you have that mindfulness, okay, now I can do something about it. So, if you're not kind of <coughs> developing that mindfulness and having mindfulness with you, carrying it with you like the ember, right? Like for my simile from the beginning. If you're not carrying it with you, then you're not going to see that, you know, these mind states sneak up on you. You're also not going to see opportunities to practice metta too. That's important. because Opportunities are going to show themselves. And if you're, you know, mindful and aware, you can see that and go with them. So this is about being mindful of these arisen states, how they arise, and how you apply the various techniques of metta to, to work with them, to ease them so that they can start their fading away. Right? So they arise, and then we can get wrapped up in them, and we keep them going, and we keep them going, and we keep them going, because we, we keep getting wrapped up, and this person said that, and this person, blah, 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 blah right <clears throat> so we keep it going and then we get home and it's still at that baseline we haven't let it started letting it go down yet you know starting letting it pass we we keep it alive like Frankenstein right so when we can when we see it arise we can say okay now's the time I'm, I'm gonna apply my techniques and that's gonna go away or it's gonna at least start to lessen um, so the way, one of the things that has really helped me is a story um, from a, a great teacher um, named Ajahn Chah. Now, well, technically, this is his disciple Ajahn Brahm telling the story. And he tells the story of how he was in Thailand, right? And uh, they're outside, they're meditating. And he says, he can, I can look down in my arm and I see literally my arm is covered in mosquitoes, right? And and he says like I'm a monk, I can't swat them. What am I? Gonna? And so he's like driving himself nuts. And, and so he goes to Ajahn Chah to complain. And Ajahn Chah says, from now on, you call these mosquitoes Ajahn mosquito. Ajahn means teacher, right? So so he's saying these these mosquitoes are Your teacher, right? And so, when I first heard that, I was like, Wow, that's an amazing thing to apply, right? So, I'm, I'm originally from New Jersey, so I would be on the, guard, the, the parkway or whatever. Ajahn, New Jersey driving, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ajahn, whatever it was, like, okay, this is, this is a lesson, this is teaching me, this is giving me an opportunity to practice, right? So, if you kind of see life in a way of not like life is trying to pummel you down but life is trying to mold you or life is trying to teach you if you see it in that way well then you can take the positive out of every situation you can take you know what this is what I learned from this and it's made me a better person because of it so that's why I I use Ajahn still to this day Ajahn you know retreat (laughs) Ajahn whatever it is right so you can use these, you know, this is what I mean by like techniques, these mental, these ways of compromise, or, or these ways of talking to yourself, of of kind of reminding yourself <clears throat> of a positive and a skillful way of doing, of, of of acting. And when you do that, so if this is like, okay, this is, this is, or you can say, like, this is just the world. This is how it is. Or this is training me. This is teaching me. What that does is that breaks you from that personalization of it. This, is, this person or this thing is doing this to me. Right? So you take it really personal. And you say, okay, no, this is just whatever. The universe, life. This is, I take this as a lesson. Well, then you're getting away from that being wrapped up in that personal um, defense mode, right? So then, just that in itself will allow you to not feed any aversive mind states that are arising. So, if everything—well, actually, I—I I think one of the, one of the first compilations of Ajahn Chah's um, teachings was called "Everything Is Teaching You." So, I mean, that's that has worked heavily for me. So, I would suggest that. So, that is helping you. To being aware as as these things arise, you get cut off in traffic or whatever it is. You just watch these things, watch the, the mind as it, you know, the aversion, the anger, the whatever it is, is arising. And if you're mindful and you see that arising, then that's your ability to to apply the techniques, apply metta, apply the Brahma to let that mind state begin its slow decline into passing away. <clears throat> and so now I want to move into meta and the noble eightfold path. A couple years ago, Banteji was doing a Q and A, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was at a meta retreat. That would be uh, topic-wise, it would make sense. And they said, the question was, well, where does meta fit in the noble eightfold path? And his answer is something I remember to this day. His answer was everywhere. And so I want to, exp- I want to expound on that. <clears throat> so metta everywhere in the Noble Eightfold Path. Let's go through the Noble Eightfold Path in a somewhat speedy way through with our, the three divisions of it, sila, samadhi, and panya. So sila division <clears throat> includes right action, right speech, and right livelihood. Right action, you have um, refraining from slaying beings, refraining from um, uh, stealing, refraining from sexual misconduct. That might start to sound familiar. It's, a, it's precepts. Right speech, we have refraining from lying. Um, those of you, when you see the lifetime precepts tomorrow, you're gonna see refraining from malicious speech, refraining from divisive speech, abusive speech, these kind of things, <clears throat> and then right livelihood. Right livelihood's great because it says, "Stop having a uh, a wrong livelihood and start having a right livelihood." <laughs> it's very detailed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so this is this is Sila, right? So, so you can you can see here that this is this is two out of those three are the five precepts. And the Bhante's have talked to you about the precepts before and how they kind of connect to Sila. One thing they didn't mention, which I'm happy of because I can, I can mention it now, is that the Buddha calls the precepts five faultless gifts to the world. He says they're ancient, unadulterable. It means nobody can challenge them. Nobody can say these, are, you know, these don't work or these are stupid or anything like that. These are five gifts to the world. Five gifts of fearlessness. And so, think about that. I mean, what is a gift <clears throat> of fearlessness? Think of the people in your life. <clears throat> people who you know that they'll never hurt you. They'll never steal from you. you know, they always have your back. They won't sleep with your spouse. All these kind of things, right? Is that person giving you a gift? you have to worry about all these other people and all this other stuff and you you know the world and the news everybody's you know there's all kinds of crazy people out there and all these things right the news will tell you these things but then but you can say okay at least this person has my back i don't have to worry with them i can trust them you have no fear because of them that's a gift of fearlessness you can think about somebody like that in your life <clears throat> And that can help you bring up some gratitude. It's like, I'm happy I have this person. It's like, I don't have to worry because I have this person in my life. And you can see that in terms of uh, metta and the 11 benefits, right? So the the benefits, um, dear to human beings, dear to non-human beings. Devas protect them. Fire, poison, and sword cannot touch them. So somebody who is living imbued with metta, somebody who is living as a gift to all beings, right? Would you not you know find them dear? Would you not want to protect them, right? That that's that's what it is. Right? That's that you know the the you know when you have um, you know when you live your life in, in such a way that you give that gift of fearlessness and people want to be around you then they're naturally just going to want to protect you. They're naturally going to you're naturally going to be somebody that is dear to them, right? Even the devas. So and then I like I always like this fire poison and sword can't touch you one. That's an interesting one. Um, the Ponteghi I think rightly suggested not to take that literally. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he he says that that is. Uh, related to that greed, hatred, and delusion can't touch you if you have a mind of, of metta, if you live like an avatar of metta. Although I would also say that to me, it makes sense that somebody who is a dear one to human beings and to non-human beings, they're probably a lot less likely to, to be in situations where somebody's gonna wanna do them harm. Now, obviously you can see by, like people like Martin Luther King and stuff like that, that's not, that doesn't mean that there's nobody that wants to do them harm. But there's gonna, it's gonna be a lot less likely right, than as somebody who's walking around killing people and doing all kinds of bad things and you know, not following the precepts and not practicing metta. Right, so, there, so that's what that is. When, you <clears throat> following, when you're following this, the Noble Eightfold Path, you're living your life as a gift. All right you're refraining from doing these things that cause harm to others and you give that you know that gift of fearlessness have you have you ever been around somebody who just totally exudes metta i have once and it was just like when i was around them and it was just like it was like i was a babe in in my mom's arms like it was just a feeling of safety and security like they would never judge me they would never harm me in any way. It was such a wonderful feeling, like this kind of aura around the person, right? <clears throat> So that's what that you, when you practice metta, that's what you you know that's what you exude when you practice when you live the noble eightfold path as a gift to all beings and also to yourself. Don't forget yourself. You know this is this is what it's about, right? So that's refraining. Now, so samadhi the samadhi division we have right effort right mindfulness right concentration so this is all the meditative aspect of the practice this is all the delving into examining our own mind and that connects with what I was saying before when you do that when you watch how how your mind works you start to see you understand how other people's mind works when you watch what when you know what causes you to suffer you know what causes other people to suffer so you need to normally we just kind of go on autopilot through our lives most people are always their mind is in the external right when you practice that when you practice meditation and you practice the samadhi division this right effort right effort is uh, applying yourself to abandon you know, unskillful mind states and to abide and build up skillful mind states, right? Right mindfulness is the four establishments of mindfulness, living continuously being mindful throughout all of your activities throughout the day. And right concentration, as Bhante, I think yesterday Bhante said, that right concentration is supported by all the other factors. So right concentration is what allows you to delve deep and to see things deeply and then that's when you can see with Vipassana, right? <clears throat> so the more you do that, the more you, the more you um, delve into and you develop your mind, the more you see how things work, the less likely you're going to do anything that will harm others, the less likely that you're going to do anything that will, um, you know, the less likely that ill will will abide in your mind for long periods of time. You know, so this is gradually cleansing your mind of these things. <clears throat> and then the Punya division, this is the wisdom division, and this encompasses how we think and, and how we view things, the right view or right understanding, and right intention. And as I said in my last talk, right intention is the intention of renunciation. That doesn't necessarily mean being a monk, it means of learning, practicing, letting go. That's where dhana starts. Dhana is like the beginning of the gradual path of the Buddha. And that's the beginning of learning how to let go little by little. Right, so learn, practicing renunciation, practicing goodwill, a metta, practicing compassion, non-harming. Right? And you might have a little bit of that when you start the practice. But as you start to see your mind, you start to see the world with mindfulness, and it just comes naturally. Just like you look up in the sky and you see the sun, and it's like, oh yeah, it's the sun in the sky. Right? It just comes naturally. Why would I want to do anything that would harm other beings? That's silly. Because right? when you have the, that wisdom and that understanding, and you see things, you know, right view is seeing the, noble, um, the four noble truths when you see the, the Four Noble Truths as they are, then that is becoming an awakened being, right? So you see, when you have that, when you have that wisdom, again, it's, it's very natural. You can't, you can't help but abide in metta because you, you see at a level that most people will never be able to see. You know, you're able to see, like the Buddha uses a simile of um, an awakened being as somebody who's like at the top of a mountain, And they can see everything with such detail. And the rest of us are are like on the bottom. You know, like we can't see anything because we're stuck down there. Right? So this is what that, you know, allows you to see. So when you live the Noble Eightfold Path, when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path, you're practicing metta. You're doing so not only for yourself, but you're doing so for all beings because you will not only change yourself, but you can also help to change the world around you, too. Right? People, that doesn't mean you're gonna forcefully try to go and change things. What it means is people, people will see that you are something different, and that will pique their interest. And They'll want to know what is going on here, right? And they'll see that you, maybe you go out of your way to. To do good deeds for people, to practice, you know, metta, all of these things. And then that gives them encouragement. Well, maybe I want to try some of this. Maybe it's a good thing that I try to, you know, act a little better in the world. Maybe make some, you know, pay, what do they call it? Pay it forward or something like that, right? Doing small little deeds that are, you know, that can really make a huge impact on people. <clears throat> And so I wanted to speak briefly about the other Brahma-viharas as well. So, you know, there's been questions like, you know, is this, is this metta or karuna or is this, you know, um, trying to figure out what the delineation of it is. And sometimes it's hard to tell, but sometimes it's, um, they all kind of <clears throat> act as a package, you know. Sometimes it's, well, is this metta or is this karuna? And, and in a way, does it matter? Right, and you know, if 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 you have the desire to to <clears throat> have a mind of goodwill and act out on that mind of goodwill, then you know that's the Brahma Vihara's. You know, Brahma the the, the abode of Brahma. Uh, means like you're living. Your mind is in heaven on earth. You're living in heaven, and that goes back to my my uh, the in the beginning of the talk when I was talking about the beginning of the Dhammapada. Right. But the how the mind is the master of all be of all things, you know. Your mind can be like the ox with the cart, or it can be like the shadow, right? So, a couple of things I wanted to say. We've talked a lot about metta. <clears throat> One thing that I think is important about to talk about compassion, and this is going to relate to when I start talking about really delving into. Um, practicing these things in our, all of our aspects of our lives. In the Dhamma, in, in the, the Buddhist teaching, compassion is very important. However, what's just as important is that that compassion comes with wisdom. Right? Maybe you have seen in your own experiences, I know I have, um, where out of compassion, I wanted to do something or I did something, right? And I had good intentions for it. So it's not like, you know, it's bad karma or it's like you're really horrible for doing it or anything like that. But, you know, it, was, it ended up being more harmful than good, or it ended up being more, um, <clears throat> not exactly what was needed, right? So that's why our compassion should always go together with wisdom. And there's a, uh, um, a Tibetan a Shambhala nun named Pema Chodron. I'm sure most of you have heard of Pema Chodron. And um, she coined a term, although I, I recently found out it's actually from her teacher that this term came from. And when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, yes, this is exactly it. And the term she uses is called idiot compassion. <laughs> right? And that might sound like really kind of like harsh at first. But this is the important thing, and you can even think about going back to the story of the mirror, right, with, with, the, with the Buddha teaching his son Rahula, like, while, while you're, when you, before you do an act, will this lead to benefit or harm? While you're doing an act, will this lead to benefit or harm? After, will this lead to benefit or harm? The so word limited beings, we're not awakened ones. So we might think that this is the best thing for us to do and we might have the metta and compassion and all these things and then it turns out uh, probably not the best, all right? So that's why metta, it's, it's important. Compassion is very good, very important. It can kind of push us to act to help others, but mindfulness is needed there too. That's where the wisdom is. Mindfulness is like, okay, just like, almost like when I was talking about with, when you're angry, you can't really kind of make a good decision. It's not quite the same, but so you have this compassion and you're filled with this emotion. It's like, I want to do something. Try to pause for a second and think, you know, bring your mindfulness in. Okay, what, what is the best thing for me to do? You know, what, what can I do? Buddha has ultimate compassion, but he also, also knows what to do with it. He has ultimate wisdom, too. So keep that in mind when it comes to compassion. And mudita, which is um, appreciative joy. I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking to myself, boy, <laughs> I probably have to speed up a little bit. But anyway, um, so mudita, appreciative joy. As I said yesterday, this is this will, or two days ago, having this joy for others Allows you to go against like jealousy and covetousness and and ill will that might arise. You know, so this is important as well. Anytime you might see something, why does that person deserve that? Right? That's that's your like that's your red flag for okay. Now we have to practice muditā. Now we have to practice appreciative joy. Right? You know, so now it's like just you know other people can have you know good things. We don't have to tear down their things because of some reason or another, right? You can have this appreciative joy for their success and their happiness and all that stuff and you know, and also work on your own happiness and your own success. So, and upekah, equanimity, this is another important one, right? Um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, the, that's the best action. Sometimes that's all you can do is just have an equanimous mind. Right, going back to the the five ways of subduing uh, of anger towards somebody one of them is equanimity equ- equ- an equanimous mind so you can't you know you can't develop goodwill at all but you can just you can just buy okay you know I can't do anything about this I can't shake this person and change them or something like that I'm just gonna let this go and just be equanimous because all it's doing is hurting my own mind. It's certainly not helping them. There's a couple of suttas where the Buddha talks about um, you, doing this is a benefit to your enemy. And like getting angry is a benefit to your enemy. Lashing out is a benefit to your enemy. All these kind of things, right? So even if you, if you do consider somebody in that regard, you could say, well, at least I don't want to you know, give this to them. I'm, I'm just going to be, you know, have this equanimous mind and just to make sure that I'm protecting my own mind and not allowing it to abide in anger and negativity that's not going to lead me anywhere good. And so now I want to in the last 17 minutes, I think I can be able to do it. I want to get into what I consider to be the meat of this um of this talk. So kind of giving examples from my own life and examples I've thought of of how you, how you exactly incorporate metta or even the, the brahma-viharas into your daily life. Again, the first thing is con- practicing consistent mindfulness so that you build it and you make it a habit. When you do that, and you have that constant vigilance, the opportunities will arise. It's just like you're walking and then there's just like a, a big, like, you know, flashing light bulb. It's like, oh, this is an opportunity. Okay, I want to take this opportunity. If you're so wrapped up in yourself and what's going on and, and you say, oh, i got to do this, i got to do this. And you're, and you're wrapped up and you're running through life like that. You can't see those opportunities. They're, you're, you're in this narrow view, right? Because your mind is wrapped up in all of the activity and what's going on. When you have mindfulness, it gives you that time and your view expands and you, have, you can see more opportunities. You can see choices that you can take that you couldn't see before. That's why I tell people you always have a choice. In any situation, you always have a choice. Sometimes we can't see those choices. But when you practice mindfulness, you start, that starts to open up and you can really see the choices that you have. So another one important one is to practice patience, patient endurance, All right? This is what, what sitting on a cushion is good for, right? That's a, you can practice <laughs> patiently enduring the itch, <laughs> patiently enduring the, the pain, Now what I will suggest, if it's really a serious pain, don't endure it too long. I I have known people who have actually hurt themselves from meditating too long and pushing their bodies too much. It's it's not good. Um, But there's a difference between meditation pain and pain related to like accidents and actual like severe pain kind of stuff. Um, So, you know, practicing patience, learning how to be patient. The Buddha encourages the disciples to um, to practice patient endurance with uh, cold and hot, and and uh, and gadflies and mosquitoes and all all the the things, all the, the things that can add up to to really get us frustrated and annoyed and and <clears throat> and not in such a good mood. So, being able to practice patience. You can do that like if you're waiting online, if you're waiting in traffic, all these kind of things, right? Instead of just kind of sitting there and that mind state is building up. I'm gonna miss this, I'm gonna miss that, and you know, all of that. You can that's the time to practice metta. That's the time to practice mindfulness. <coughs> that's the time to watch your mind and observe what that kind of anxious mind state is doing to it. <coughs> So this is the importance of patience, because the patience is is a is a, a stand for mindfulness. Patience is like a, a brother or a sister to mindfulness that allows you to to get to that point. So patience is important. Again, equanimity in hard situations, another important thing. You know, sometimes you have to step back. Just calm yourself and you know have your mind even and peaceful <clears throat> so that you're not wrapped up in things. And you know. And then maybe at that point as you step back and you, and you have an equanimous mind, then you can go back into it with mindfulness and the situation might change, it might be different. You might see those options and those choices that you didn't see before with an equanimous mind instead of a mind wrapped up in the emotions and the feelings of whatever's going on in the situation. Another one is practicing metta before you speak. <clears throat> before you speak to somebody, give them your metta. Pervade their <clears throat> your metta to them. <clears throat> so that you can, <clears throat> if you have any kind of anxieties um, uh, towards them or in the thought of talking with them, all of that can go away. <clears throat> Pervading your metta to somebody before you speak. Or even if you, you know, you're feeling agitated, like I have to tell this person this. Right, you practice your metta to them. Then, instead of going blah blah blah, blah you're just like, "Okay, well, listen." You know, so you can do it in a more skillful way. <clears throat> so you have that practicing your metta before you speak. Remember, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Remember, so the sutta on subduing hatred, practicing metta, practicing compassion, practicing um, uh, equanimity practicing the, the un, reminding yourself that they are the owner of their actions and then the last one is trying to avoid them at all possible remember remember those <coughs> remember those the Buddha give, Buddha always gives you like these kind of last resort things and that's really what they are their last resorts they don't really actually help but he's like if these don't work well try this <laughs> yeah so and also in regards to that, remember, de-escalate. If you find yourself in a situation and if you're if you're practicing long enough and you can are mindful enough in the situation, and you can see what's happening. And it's just going, it's escalating. And you can see that, whoa, if I, if this keeps going, it's not going to be good. This is going to happen or that's going to happen. That's when, just like, you know, when that ill will appears in your mind and you apply the techniques, that's when you can apply your techniques or mindfully perform an action that's going to de-escalate, that's going to make sure that whatever the situation is moves towards calm, not away from calm. <clears throat> and so now the uh, there's four spheres that I <clears throat> talk about when I talk about practicing metta or practicing mindfulness in. The first sphere of our life is among our family, then friends, work, and society. So those are the four spheres. So if you can think about, like, how do I practice metta? How do I do good things? And we can think about how do you do that within each one of these spheres. So for instance, like, family, right? how do I practice the four Brahma Viharas with my family? Now, one thing I will say is that what's really, really important with your family is patience and forgiveness, right? Patience is needed a lot. Patience and forgiveness. Because oftentimes it's, you know, the people that we're closest to that cause us the most suffering because you kind of maybe expect them to be a certain way or you expect them to because you're close to them that they they wouldn't do something that would harm you but they're human just like you so you know just like Bonte Sila said two or more people living together is not easy <clears throat> same thing here at the monastery <laughs> trust me <clears throat> because when you <clears throat> we're like family here right so it's not like work where you can just like I can just leave everybody you know and just go away we're all we all live together here so we have just like a family we have to work through things and and you know watch our own our own egos and our own aversion and all of these kind of things right <clears throat> so it's important to to remind yourself of that to to be aware of that and so you can practice that metta you know practice that sometimes equanimity you know I have to give myself some space for my family walk away a little bit you know these kind of things um and also part of meta is really and i guess this covers everything not just family but for your family members to really listen like you know your you know spouses come home and we're you know you're busy and you're tired and you know like you don't want to hear you know i'm wrapped up in my own busy and tired i don't you know, care what my spouse you know, their problems and all these kind of things. I'm still wrapped up in my own. I can't even have the ability to kind of empathize and reach out to the other person and be like, Okay, you know, let's let's, you know, talk about our our suckiness in the day. Let's talk about let's talk about our sangsara that we went through <laughs> while we were out today. You know, these kind of things. So really listen and give an ear and probably because of my background, I have to say, allow kids to, like, grow, right? We have to, with family members, because we are so wrapped up, this is that, that what Sila was saying, Pema. Pema is this, like, love, this attachment. You know, like I, I've told you, <clears throat> I'm not a parent, so I can't claim to understand the, the strong attachment and the fear that might arise to thinking about your child getting hurt and these kind of things. But sometimes, as you can see with fear, we do things out of fear. And we because when you're fearful, you're not mindful. And we do things out of fear to protect our children. And that actually ends up hurting them. Right? There's a there's a great book out, it's called Anti Fragile, right? Like how do you train how do you become anti-fragile? Where it's been my experience, we're kind of training our kids to be fragile. Right? We're training our kids like, you know, there's a helicopter parenting and all these kind of things that we're kind of not letting our kids kind of be kids anymore. No recess in school anymore, running around, all these kind of things. To me, this is where it gets tough with family because right, <clears throat> sometimes you, what's best for them is not necess- is sometimes hard for you, right? It's hard for a parent to let go even when they get even when a child gets older. You can be 40 years old, which I am, and you're still their kid, right? That doesn't stop. No matter how old you are, if I make it to 70 and they're 90, I'm still the kid. That's just the way it is, right? So I would say in terms of family and friends allowing your, you know, letting your children be children, right? Letting them kind of Learn how to handle things and learn develop coping mechanisms and all that kind of stuff on their own, and also for family members too and you know, I like sometimes somebody can't they, they can't do what's called tough love right they can't like to somebody who asked about putting their you know um, about sending their loved one to you know reporting them because they did a crime or something like that right I saw that so many times in my own life working with people right. I saw grandparents who who couldn't be tough on their parents for their own grandchildren, and what they did was they enabled their children to continue with poor mental health, to continue with drug abuse, all these kind of things, right? So sometimes the best thing for somebody to do is to, you have to be tough on them, and that you can be tough with metta. The Buddha is asked... Um, you know, the Buddha was asked by the king came to him and the king had his child in his, his, you know, on his lap and he's talking and he asked the Buddha, um, you know, do you ever have to be harsh with your disciples? And he says, yes, sometimes I have to be harsh. And he says, let me ask you, he says to the king, the Buddha says, if your child, if something were to go down your child's throat, what would you do? And the king said that I would put my finger in And take it out, even if it caused them to bleed. And he said, Why would you do that? It was because that would save, even though that would cause pain right now, that would save their life. And so the Buddha says, Just like that, sometimes I have to be harsh with my disciples because it is better for them in the long run. So keep that in mind with family. But what about work and, uh, you know, work and school? So, you know, you, if you go to an office or you work with people, you spend at least a third of your day with these people, right? <clears throat> so, you know, maybe you don't like them and it's easy for you to go home and not have to deal with them for the rest of the day. But <clears throat> I think it's a good thing to keep them in mind as you're, while you're at work. You can develop a, a much better, a much more meta-filled work environment. And there's ways that you can do that. You know, think about um, when you're at work. You can practice mudita. Somebody you wanna you wanna get a, a promotion. Somebody else got the promotion, and that's when that like oh, I I deserve this. All that kind of mind states will come in. That's where you practice mudita, appreciative joy. You know, I'm happy that they got the promotion. You know, I could have used it as well, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy that they got it. You know, and, you know, I, I don't need to be angry with them or anything like that, you know. So I can, you can be that way. You know, having this compassion, this empathy for your coworkers, And I tell you a story of something, you know, like in, in my own work, I be, we're unfortunately going to go a little bit over time, but uh, I won't keep it too long. So in my own work, you know, I was, first I was the quote-unquote the guy who meditated. Then I was the guy who was the Buddhist. Right? and so like this was in my early early days this month is 10 years that I've been a Buddhist so in my early days of being a Buddhist like you know I had like Tibetan prayer flags in my, in my cubicle and all these kind of things and, and I was at I think it was like at, um, at uh, Barnes and Noble or something and I found this like one foot square Zen garden you know like the, the and so I bought it and I have so we have like all our cases in these like metal cabinets right outside the cubicles. So I put that Zen garden right on top of that, on, on that, uh, that cabinet, and every once in a while, like when I needed to just calm down or whatever, I'd just make you know, uh, patterns in the Zen garden. I'd just play with the sand and things like that, I'd calm myself down. I was like, oh, okay, good. Well, <clears throat> then people, when they would come to see me, they would start, to, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's a Zen garden, and then they would start doing it. And then, you know, and then it turned out people would just come to my desk, not for me, <laughs> but for the Zen garden, right? And, I, and it clicked to me. It was like, you know, it was kind of a selfish thing at first. I wasn't thinking about other people when I did that. But then it kind of gave me the idea, well, why don't I just make this kind of like a de-stressing area? So I, would, I had my Zen garden and I had like little, all kinds of like little trinkets, little de-stressing things in this area, and it turned out to just be a place where just my coworkers would just come say hello. They would play with the things, and you know, just for a couple of minutes, and they'd go right. And so that kind of also gave me the idea of like, well, what else? You know, what what little opportunities can I have to kind of, you know, brighten the mood in my office, <clears throat> right? So <clears throat> that's what you can do. <clears throat> you can think about these things when opportunities, when thoughts arise. Well, why don't I do this? You know, well, sometimes you you kind of have to have wisdom with it and be balanced with it. You don't want to be like that annoying person in the office, right? But um, you know, so doing thinking about things that you can do for your co-workers to make your environment that you spend eight hours in a day a better place, a more peaceful place, higher morale, all of that kind of stuff. So. And then uh, society. So this is just society in general. Um, some of my uh, the things that I would say is wave, wave to people, smile. Just a smile is an amazing thing. That's meta because <clears throat> when you smile, that's contagious. Right? Other people, that's like they, you know, you're around somebody who's smiling, you can't help but smile. So if you're somebody who's always smiling and things like that, not like me, like before the retriever. You know, wrapped up in my own thing—all these kind of things. You practice that these outward, um, the outward expressions of goodwill. <clears throat> and so, while you're like while you're driving or riding in a, a bus or whatever you're doing, you can I emanate. You can pervade your metta out. You can pervade, you know, your metta out to the people around you. <clears throat> you can practice one of the things that um, Bhante Sila Tells, uh, told a story one met the retreat about when he, when he was young and how when he was um, you know he would be on a bus or whatever, and every time a car passed, he would say um, i don 't know what the the Sinhalese version of it is, but it 's basically like sukihoto it just means that 's what we say if somebody bows to us, we say Sukihotu. it just means may you be happy so' just any car that passes by sukihoto sukihoto Sukihotu. so he would just do that and I started doing that. i said that 's a good idea you know that's so. That's what we do when we are when we're walking on the road, and a car walks by. We wave, and and just mentally I say "sukiyaki." That's all. You know, <clears throat> the first time I went to to New York, I go to New York three times a year now to to lead little, little weekend retreats. The last time I was there was last month for Metta, like I said, and uh, so you know this first time in the, the cities I'm not a city person I real, I'm really not a city person I've always kind of had a lot of aversion to the city so I'm trying to work on that and I was with my friend and we were going into the we were on the subway in New York City and it was packed and I'm like oh god I'm in the city <laughs> and, and then I was talking to my friend and we're like well, you know what let's practice metta so we're just like in this subway going past and we're just like emanating metta to everybody all the millions of beings you could probably say billions if you add bugs and all kinds of, and rats and all of those beings in the city. So, be, so billions of beings in New York City. And so we were practicing metta. <clears throat> and then I opened my eyes and like the subway is like a cool place. Like people are smiling. And, you know, most people are wrapped up in their own things. But, you know, so so that it's amazing what that little bit, you know, that can do for your own mindset and for the people around you. And uh, another thing is to just have common, having common courtesy with people. Like there's there's one story I always tell because remi- I'm reminded of this to this day. This goes back to my early 20s when I was, didn't have a career or anything like that. I was working a lot of odd jobs and I was working at a place called Wawa. Some of you know maybe like either like a 7-Eleven or a sheets. it's like one of those kind of places. Um, and I always I hated being on register I liked being behind the deli you know making sandwiches for people and stuff but I hated being on register um, and so like I when I get stuck on register it would be a miserable day <clears throat> and so the, the register most people were like they want their cigarettes and they want their coffee and they want it fast right so they're coming so they're online They're like I want marble blah blah blah, blah or I want this these kind of cigarettes or, these kind of cigarettes so they're just like They're just just agitated. They just want their thing. They want their hit of their, whatever, smoking or or coffee or whatever it is. They want it and then they want to leave. So here's me like a robot, just, okay, this, this, you know, I'm just doing the things. Like I'm not even, they don't even like acknowledge that I exist as a person, right? You know, I'm just doing my thing. And then somebody came by and they saw my name tag and they say, hello, Joe, how are you doing today? And it's like all of a sudden I woke up. And I'm like, oh, I'm a human. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> My name is Joe, wow. And it's just like, you know, and it's like, oh, thanks. Nice to, you know, thank you. Um, you know, I'm doing well, how are you, Etc. Etc. Right, so for that brief moment, what did that person do? That person gave me a gift. That person gave me a gift of, you know, acknowledging me and giving me metta and giving me a smile and just, you know, just a very brief moment. To take me out of uplift me out of my misery that I was in, my hell that I was in, right and so then you know a minute or two they're gone, and the next person, I need my marble blah 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 <laughs> and, then, and then my mindset goes back to the way it was. right but that with that one incident, that one brief interaction that I had all those years ago, this is you know we're talking 13, 14 years ago. I still remember that to this day that person that that gift that that person gave me in the middle of hell for a brief moment I was my mind rose out of that and so when you can you know never underestimate that with the people that you interact with out in society you know just to to, just a very something a common courtesy a common acknowledgement of their humanity goes a long way so keep that in mind as well and also for bugs and for animals um, you know <laughs> bugs are we have this kind of like aversion to these creepy crawly things but they are also beings on this planet just like us you can think about well I was probably one of these beings I don't know however many lifetimes ago right you can connect in that way like what I was telling some the people that I was doing woodwork with Right now is a great time. If you have an aversion to spiders, now is the best time because what's happening is the baby spiders are out. And you can watch, I've done this, the last couple years I watched this. The baby spiders are so stupid. They're just like, they're like they're babies. It's like you see them, they're like playing with their web and then they're like going back and forth and they're just like hanging there and you're just watching them. They're just like, they're like learning how to be spiders. It's just like an amazing experience. The first time that, it was I was in the cootie over there, such a cootie, and that's the first time it like just little baby spiders like coming right over my bed. And I just watch it and they just be like going back and forth and hanging out. And I'm like, if I was able to do that, I'd probably do the same thing. Just be able to hang out like Spider Man, just, you know, on a web or whatever. So you can watch that and you can see like, Oh, these they're just beings. Right? Like an an adult one, like a wolf spider, they look like you know, like they're you know, like the, right out of our, our monster nightmares, that, so we have that fear. But if you can see that, if you look and see, see, you know, you have a day here left. See if you can find those little baby spiders. There's one in the, in the monastic bathroom, too. Um, in the back bathroom, you can just see it's just hanging out. It's just coming, it's just going like this, right? You can see that, you know, and the more you spend time out in nature, the more you spend time around animals, the more that you realize that they're more afraid of you. And you are of them. So it's very easy to, kind, to give them metta. And you can use the, you know, may, may those with two feet not have not want to kill me. <laughs> may those with four feet not want to kill me. You can use that. <clears throat> like if you go out at, at night and you go up into the mountain and you practice, you know, meditating at night in the darkness, that works very well. Giving metta to the beings that are all around. Please don't kill me beings, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. <laughs> and then the more you do it the more you realize like no there's no animals that go anywhere near you and then you're just like oh okay you know I remember one time being out at the night and I was like fear was arising and I was trying practicing metta and I was practicing and all of a sudden I heard like a noise and I turned around real quick and you know what happened I scared I scared the poor deer that was there because the, the deer was like I turned around and the deer was like oh and it goes jetting away. it was just a deer and I scared it and then that's an oh, okay, you know, I have metta, you know, for this, I don't have to be, you know, I don't, I'm letting my fear get the best of me, and know, is not going to be benefit to these animals <clears throat> to have this. So that you can even apply metta to situations and your own experiences. And even, again, this is also not, the Buddha also never said this, I have to admit, but I also am a big fan of applying metta to inanimate objects. Because it's about the ill will in our mind. And we can certainly hate inanimate objects. <laughs> I hate my car, I hate this, I hate that, all these kind of things. Right? That's <laughs> still ill will. It's still it's still it still brings up that agitation in your mind. So you can apply metta to that, you know. To the, you know, It's not like the, the car is going to get the meta or it's going to get better or anything like that. But it's just you can apply metta so that it changes your mind state regarding the, the, whatever the item is. And so you don't have to, because man of all the things that we can be agitated about, being agitated at an inanimate object is really useless in a way, right? You, you can't even get a response out of an inanimate, inanimate object. So keep that in mind. Alright, so in closing, I'd like to, you know, since this is the final talk of the retreat, I want to remind you guys again, you can make this practice your own. Right? You can find what works for you. Practice it. Like what I found works for me very well is at night here going out under the stars and just looking at the stars and just practicing metta that's where one of those nights where i was practicing metta to all the beings and all these stars that i could see that's where the all of us came up into my mind all of us and like these kind of things you can find these situations and experiences that work for you that really build up that that feeling of metta and also something that i also have experience with if that feeling goes away that's okay too i haven't had a blissed out well once or twice in the last couple of years, but I don't get that like blissed out feeling of metta anymore like I used to, right? But I can still, and I've asked Bhante G this, and he said, well, just observe your mind. Does your mind have ill will in it or, it, or doesn't it, right? So sometimes even, because remember, metta is impermanent, so don't get too attached to that wonderful blissed out feeling of metta, because that also is going to go away. Um, it will come and it will go so don't get too attached to that this practice is not easy but it's worth it and this practice is meant to be lived right the buddha did not teach teach us to do these things so that we can you know just think about it and and keep it within us we 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 go out we you know metta you, know, you can practice metta to yourself but to practice metta and practice these four brahma vaharas you do it in interaction with the world around us, in all of our experiences, everything that we do. And so I'd like to leave you guys with one of the Buddha's, the Buddha's exhortation to his first 60 disciples, the first 60 monastics, when he brought them together and he said, go out for the good of the many folk and not two of you go in one direction Right? So what I exhort you guys to do is from here, go out into the world and practice your metta. Become avatars of metta. You know, become um, people that where your mind is not shaken by the vicissitudes of the world. You can keep that mindfulness, keep that metta in your mind. Always, it's always with you like the ember. And it's always there. You can always find opportunities to practice a metta. And when you do that, you're like you're like walking change. Right? Because the normal way of life is <clears throat> the normal way of life is everybody's wrapped up in their own thing and we all have greed, hatred, and delusion. Right? That's normal. That's that's what the norm for everybody. When you live, when you become an avatar of metta, you rise above that. The Buddha talks about lotus. You know, lotus in a pond, lotus flowers. And those who rise above, there's lotuses that are stuck in the mud, lotuses that are in the water, and lotuses that have risen above that, are above the water. So you can, when you practice, when you live metta, you live above the greed, hatred, and and delusion, and the the wrapped up in our own issues, and all these things. You live above that. And when you are able to do that, then you're able to m- more in a better way, in a more thorough way, be there for other people as well. Right? And you can be an example. What's that, that uh, quote that is not really, it doesn't really exist, but it's a, sum, it's a little summary of what Gandhi said. Be the change you wish to see in the world. He didn't technically say that. It, what he said is like a paragraph and a half long. <laughs> Somebody sum, summar, summarize that into that. But that's really what it is. And that's really been my experience is that if you want to change the world, it starts with you. <clears throat> it starts with you. And then you bring that out. You bring that out into the world. And any movement maybe starts with one person. And then it keeps adding more people, more people, more people, more people. And then it becomes something much larger than any one person. So with that, my friends, I'll call this uh, this talk and the rest of these talks uh, no more talks for this retreat so that's a wrap and uh, we'll practice well for this last uh, day of your practice and if you have any questions put them in the box i'll answer them later tonight thank you Take a break and come back to meditate. You don't have to wait for me.